I'm, I'm challenged this morning because I'm preaching through some things uh, in preparation for us becoming one fellowship, one family. We've been talking that about, about that around here. And, and so we've looked at what our family principles are and what it means to live life as a church like a family. That's kind of a core concept for me. I, last week we talked a lot about how God kind of birthed that into my heart originally that, and, and, as it relates to living hope, that we were going to live life like a family and what's that supposed to be and what are the basic context of that, you know, what's a healthy family look like. We talked last week a little bit about love and leadership and, and uh, growing up, maturation, reproduction, hoping that you see more people come to Christ and how God works that out in his family. And we are called to be a part of that. Uh, this week we're going to try to go into a, a little bit of a context or, or understanding over the next couple of weeks, really three weeks, to see some basic words we grabbed a hold of early on that helped us kind of get our mind wrapped around how you actually do that, <laughs> how you live that out in daily life, because that's what God's called us to. So, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be coupling a couple of words each week for the next two weeks. And then in our vision banquet this year, you're going to end up getting a document that's going to kind of summarize all this. It's going to be revised yet again. <laughs> for those of you who have seen them over the years. You know, uh, for the last 20 years, I think this will be the third or fourth time that we've kind of gone into this document and said, wait a minute, we can make it flow a little better, make a little bit more sense. And, and the idea is that we have this basic uh, tool in our hands as a way of reminder that takes us to places in the scripture that reminds us of, okay, this is how I'm going to live out my life with the Lord on a daily basis and among other believers to fulfill the call of God to live like a family, the family that he is the father of. And so today we're going to wrap our mind around two basic words out of those foundational words of living hope. And they're going to be the words of liberty. We talked a little bit about that just a second with the kids and then love. And we're going to we're going to skim the surface, okay? Uh, because there is the ability to preach a thousand plus sermons on the concept of love, right? It's been done. And there's a thousand plus sermon concepts on the idea of what it means to be free from sin and how to live a life in liberty for God. So please understand this. As some, this always happens to a preacher. You preach a sermon on a topic, and as you're leaving, someone says, you know, brother, you, you did a great sermon, but you missed this, 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 and this that was in the Bible. This is not an exhaustive sermon on love and liberty, <laughs> okay? This is a scratching the surface so that we could get a handle of the concepts. But we want to look deeper always into those contexts. And so I'm going to be referencing a lot of Scripture and there's going to be a document later that will come back with a lot more scriptures that you can look up relevant to these terms. But this morning we want to see what the scripture lays out for us on how we walk in liberty and love with God in relationship with him. Now, Some of you that know me over the years know that I, I love the book of Galatians. I think Romans and Galatians, in my personal opinion, this is thus says Chris, not the Lord, okay? Don't go out there and say, Brother Chris said God thinks. That's not the way I'm saying it. <laughs> But for me, and the way my mind works, the two books of the Bible that's helped me understand the heartbeat and plan for God for the New Testament church is the book of Romans and Galatians. In those two books, I see the, the structural framework of how God kind of put it all together and help us understand how to walk with him. Today, we're going to spend a lot of time in Galatians 5. Uh, among 
places in the New Testament. Again, this is one of my favorite places. Uh, for years, I signed my name free in Christ. Some of you all know that. It came from Galatians 5.1 when I read that for the first time and, and felt like I got a concept for the first time of what God really had called me to. He called me to a life to be free from something and be free towards something. And sometimes the, only time, sometimes the only way that people think about freedom in the context of Scripture is the idea of being free from sin so they weren't, won't end up burning and going to hell, right? But that's just a piece of the puzzle <laughs> in that whole context of liberty. You're also liberated to be. We talked about it last week, the fact that we're liberated from being dirty, rotten sinners into being saints in the household of God. <laughs> Two totally different ways of living. And that's what he called us to war. So we're going to unpackage some of that a little bit. And uh, I want to use as a, a springboard a verse of scripture that just helps us get uh, wrapped around that for a moment. Look at Romans 6, chapter uh, 6, verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Now, that's a very rational, common-sense statement. It's asking you just to think about it. Don't you realize that whatever is dominating your life, you are a slave to that thing that is dominating your life? Whatever it might be, fill in the blank. It could be different for a lot of people. And so it just helping you get that understanding. You are slaves to the one you obey. But now, as a spiritual context, either sin resulting in death... Or obedience to the will of God resulting in righteousness. One or the other. Take your pick. You're doing it every day. And so that's the context of this verse to help us understand that there's a, there's a freedom concept in the idea of a relationship with God. Jesus said in John 8, 36, Don't you know that he who the Son... Oh, here it is. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Free from what? Free from what is enslaving you. Well, what is enslaving me? Some form of sin. And in what way is it enslaving me? Well, we're going to look at that a little bit. So the context is real clear in Scripture that humanity is bound up in a problem, restrictively. And so bound up that we cannot possibly be what God intends for us to be. And that God has decided in his great wisdom through his own provision because we couldn't provide it. He has chosen to make a provision for us for, to be released from that. From that bondage of sin. Now I want to read an entire passage here. I'm gonna, we're going to cover a lot of scripture today over two topics. And we're going to, man, we're going to go through it. Okay, pretty quick. So if you want to check it out later, write it down. If you want to get the references a little more clearly, go back and watch the YouTube. If you can wait to the Vision Banquet, you'll get a document having them all in there, okay? But let's just read this passage for a second. That's going to help us get a clear understanding that sin is without a doubt what we need to be freed from. In Romans chapter 6, verse 5 and following, and we're going to read all the way through 16, I guess, and we're... Uh, then we'll, then we'll make some comments. Just, just follow along with me, all right? For if we have been united with him, we're talking about being related to Christ, with him in the likeness of his death, certainly he shall also be, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with. That's the reason. So that we might no longer be slave to sin. So that we, let me rephrase that. We got to get that. God had a plan and an intent so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Pretty clear, isn't it? Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never again to die. Death no longer is master over him. That's such a key phrase. So often heard and just gone in one ear and out the other. <laughs> this did not say that you will never have an accident and mess up in your life and have a sin. And that, by the way, is not giving you permission to do so. God's desire is that we would not. But without a doubt, it's crystal clear that as believers, sin cannot master us anymore. Unless we acquiesce to it. Does that make sense? The power, I like the way uh, uh, Bob Warren used to say it. He used to say, the power of sin has lost its grip on the man who has come to life in Christ. So that there's no longer a, 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 a Flip Wilson phrase that goes on. Some of y'all remember Flip Wilson? Come on, you old people, y'all know. Y'all remember Flip Wilson. And he used to get on the stage and say, the devil made me do it. Yeah. Not anymore as a believer. He can't make me do anything. Do you realize that as a Christian today? If you have been freed from sin by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross to liberate you from the power of sin, the devil cannot make you do anything. If you follow a path, follow a path that he's leading in, it's because you chose to go with him. You acquiesced. But because of the power of Jesus Christ living in you, the Holy Spirit that dwells alive in you, there is within you reigning the ability to say to him, I ain't going there. <laughs> now, what's the probability that that's going to be perfectly handled every single time? About, about slim and none. <laughs> Doesn't give me permission it just makes me aware that I live in a sin-cursed world that affects me dramatically and that somehow because of that, there are times I find myself in weakness. At times, I'm quenching, grieving, and resisting the Holy Spirit instead of submitting and surrendering to Him. And in those moments, I might end up slipping and falling on my face and sinning when I should not have. And if I do, because I'm a righteous man in Christ Jesus, not in Chris Reber, because I'm a righteous man, I get up every single time, 70 times 7, and choose to pursue on with the Lord. You see how that works? That's, so that's, that's the way the Bible as a whole presents it. Sometimes we grab a piece here and we grab a piece there and we miss it. And the next thing you know, we're acting as if the devil can control our lives. But he cannot as a child of God. And we've got to get a hold of that or we're just going to constantly acquiesce and we're not going to live in liberty. We're not going to enjoy the life that God called us to live in. So we're talking about being freed from sin and free from the power of sin. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died, uh, 
died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives unto God. And the reason I made all that correlation to you as well is because just prior to those two verses, it says you died with him. That this was what he put into you by him doing that for you. So even so, because that's true, that's what even so means. <laughs> because that's true, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Just like Christ. But alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. That you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting your members, the members of your body, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. It's like, uh, you know, Connie, <laughs> it reminds me way back, we used to tease each other about this. There was a guy on TV, uh, uh, did a show, what was it, Newhart, Bob Newhart. <laughs> you remember that, Connie? So there was a, there was a series on there, and, and uh, he would had one episode, and he was counseling somebody, and and the person was uh, always talking about the struggles they were having, and they were listening. What, what kind of great counseling advice do you have? And he's sitting there, and, and she's listening and listening, waiting for this great, you know, wise response. And what do I do? What do I do? And he looks at her and says, stop it! Just don't do that anymore! <laughs> you know? Well, that's, that's kind of what God's saying to us in this concept. He knows we may mess up and slip up and have accidents. But as it relates to understanding who we are and what we're capable of, he wants to say to us, hey, I've got the power of myself in you. You don't have to choose to go that way anymore. So Connie and I, for a long time, well, we would catch each other. This never happens in your household, I know. But we would catch each other in slip-ups. <laughs> and we would talk about the struggles we're having. And we just look at each other and say, well, just stop it. <laughs> you know? Anyway, that's great marital counseling there. <laughs> but from a spiritual perspective, don't we need to hear that? When sometimes we're constantly finding excuses to live the way that our flesh wants to live. Instead of the way that God wants us to live. And we climb under the idea of, oh, well, I'm just human. I can't help it. And God wants to say over and over to this, yes, you can because what I've done in you empowers you to be able to stop it and walk on with me. Well, what if I mess up? Well, you, you get up and you say, man, I don't want to do that anymore. God, I trust you for strength to move in the right direction and as a righteous man, a righteous woman, if it's 70 times 7, you're going to get up. Because that's who God's called you to be. So, we're talking about liberality and being free from the bondage of sin. And do not go presenting your members of your body as sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves as a, uh, to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14. For sin, can you get this? shall not be your master. Remember, some of you, any of y'all ever listening to Integrity Hosanna music? Do y'all remember that back in the, Robert over here, yeah, back in the uh, 90s, 80s? You know, I used to listen to a bunch of that stuff. Sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Man, we got to get this down in our spirit. We got to get a hold of this. 
so that we can walk in liberty. It's not just about being freed from the bondage of sin. It's also being freed to walk in the liberty that God's called us to walk in. To be able to live in a, in a way, in Ephesians 4.1, that you might walk, what's it say, in a manner worthy of the calling by which you've been called. Would it be rational for God to call you and ask you to do that if that's totally impossible? It wouldn't be, would it? And is our God rational? Well, surely he is. And so he's called us to be able to do something that he's enabled us to do. And get this, it's an absolutely crucial point as we depend on him. As we submit to Holy Spirit that lives within. So this is where God's called us, what he's asked us to walk in. So what shall I say then? Shall, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? I see that's where a lot of people live. What's that mean? What's he saying there? Well, you know, sin's not going to be my master, you said, because I'm not under law, not under grace. It's not my master because nobody gets to tell me I'm a sinner. Is that what that means? No, that's not what he's saying. Because in the next verse, he deals with it. What shall we say? That, that sin, because we are not under the law and under grace, shall we go ahead and do that so that the, the, the grace of God shows greater than the sin? That's the concept he's dealing with His. Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? May it never be. In other words, just because you know the blood of the Lamb covers the sin of your, your life, it does not mean it's okay for you to sin. And that's the way a lot of people live in Christianity. Here's how they do it. You come up and you, you're aware, you're talking to this brother or this sister that you're concerned because their testimony is just being dragged through the mud. Because they're calling themselves a believer, but they're choosing in no way to walk and live as a believer. And, and you go as a brother or sister and say, man, I'm concerned for you. And they say, oh, don't worry, man, I'm under the blood. Jesus covered my, blood, uh, covered my, my life with the blood on the cross. And I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I just can't help it. That's, that's basically what this verse is saying. That's what that person is doing. God's grace is covering me. I'm okay. That's not the idea God wanted us to walk under. The idea he wants us to walk under is that we're free from that and we're free to be what he's called us to. Should we have accidents and mess-ups along the way that we're likely to have? Pro, we have a propensity to have because we live in a sin-cursed world. He'll pick us up. He'll dust us off. We keep walking in the straight and narrow as God's called us to. That's the way God desires. So, so one of the words we've got to live by in the family of God is this idea of knowing that we have liberty in Christ. We have freedom from sin, and we have freedom to be what he's called us to be. Let's look at that. Did I have one more verse here? Yeah. And do you not know? Think about this. Do you not know? We started here. When you present yourselves as someone slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either to sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. Well, what do you mean? I mean, slaves to sin resulting in death. If I sin again, am I dying? Not in the sense of eternal relationship with God that's covered and dealt with by Christ. That's why I was talking about all that. But let me ask you this. Even as a Christian, does sin still carry death-effecting power in the life of an individual? Sure it does. Anybody got an illustration? How does that happen? 
I mean, there's all kinds of ways that happens, right? I mean, it destroys relationships all the time. Can two genuine believers choose not to walk according to submission to the Holy Spirit? And as a result, even though they know they're going to heaven, they're bought by the blood, they're trying to live for Christ, but they mess up and they choose not to walk according to the Word of God on the matter. Can that choice to walk in that sin destroy and kill their relationship? happens, doesn't it? And it happens to people's personal lives on the way they live their life physically. It happens in the way that we handle things in terms of honesty and integrity. It happens in this thing called pride that we end up living like we, you know, have a right to everything. And it just, sin's always going to kill and destroy. As it relates to our relationship with God, that's dependent on what Christ did for us. So we don't need to live in any, any fear of that. But we need to also understand we don't want to make any room by the grace of God to let sin run rampant in our lives. And we don't want to live under the concept it's okay, because I know God's grace covers me. Well, it's great that God's grace covers us. We need to embrace that. But the walking in sin has never been, I got news for you, as you look at the Word of God, it has never been and it never will be okay. It is so not okay that God sent himself in the form of flesh in order to pay the heavy price. So don't let the devil lie to you about that. And make it some little bitty thing that doesn't matter. Now, here's the other thing about that. As we talk about liberty, sometimes when we understand liberty, we realize there's some challenges that come along with that. As we think about uh, being uh, free in Christ. I wanna, so I want to go over to another passage of Scripture. And I want to read it. And this is really kind of the context of dealing the rest of the way with liberty. i got to do that in about five or six minutes so I can talk about love. <laughs> so let's see if we can get it done. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. This is the verse I shared with the kids. It is for freedom that Christ sets you free. There's a whole sermon right there. Think about that statement. Christ sets you free so you can live any old way you want, right? Nope. Christ sets you free that you might live in a liberated way. Freely. In what way freely? That you might walk in a manner worthy of him. And you're free to do that because you're no longer bound in slavery. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Stop there. We're, we're going to have to kind of funnel down a little bit, get, get this to the point quicker so that we can kind of get a handle on it. So for the sake of freedom, Christ liberated us from the bondage of slavery. So how is that supposed to look in my life? I mean, the idea here is that I would walk in a lifestyle free from the bondage, control of sin because of the death and power of, of sin. In Christ, again, reiterating that, you have been freed from its power. Don't lose sight of that. But the second part of this verse takes us to another context of freedom. This liberty is also the effort to be justified. Uh, let me rephrase that. Liberty sometimes, people sometimes end up taking that concept and say, well, because I'm free, you know, I can live any way I want to, like I said before. 
and, and, in, and in so doing, make themselves feel justified in comparison to others, okay? So let me, let me package it this way as you look at the Old Testament. So humanity was having a problem with God, right, in relationship. God wanted them to understand what the problem was. It was their arrogance and inability to live a holy lifestyle the way he wanted them to. And they were constantly finding other ways to live life and kind of justifying themselves in it. So God calls a people to himself in order to show them his holiness so that they could get an understanding of what really holiness looked like and then reveal to them how far away from that they really were. They could not really justify themselves. And so the law became a taskmaster to show humanity how utterly sinful humanity is. And so in the context of that, a person realizes where they stand before God. But here's what, here's what happened to the people of God in the context of that. They began to try to live according to these things, messing up by the numbers. They know that if they get honest with themselves. They had all kinds of sacrificial systems to deal with that. But instead of embracing the reality that, man, i got to really depend on God, they started comparing themselves to the rest of the world. Started feeling like they didn't feel so bad anymore. Well, man, if you compare us to those Edomites over there, if you compare us to those Philistines, if you compare us to those, man, all the rest of the world, man, they're a mess, but we're the people of God. Kind of got the holier-than-thou complex and began to throw the legalism of the teaching of God that they had placed upon them for them to understand their shortfall upon the rest of the world condemning the rest of the world. That wasn't their business, was it? Whose business is that? It's God's business. As, well, as I was a kid growing up, we would say it's none you. It's none your business. But that's what happened. Now, lest you start throwing stones at that group, start evaluating Christianity a little bit. Because that's what started happening in, in the body of Christ. And we have these groups that rise up within Christian circles that start comparing themselves to other parts of the Christian circle. And we start laying our legalistic concepts of how you ought to be walking with God just like me because I got it right. rest of you don't. I know that's a ridiculous statement, but that's what Christianity is doing. Now, where are we going to find a clear definition for how it's supposed to be? Well, in the Word of God. Who's going to lead us into that? The Holy Spirit. And we've got to be accountable to that. So we're coming back to that. Don't think, I don't have an anything goes mindset. If you know me, you know better than that. So we're coming back to that. But what I'm dealing with here in the context of liberty is explaining the fact that sometimes if we're not careful, our liberty will end up throwing us into a place that we feel justified in creating a legalistic mindset for others. We feel that we've been set free and we begin to commit ourselves to certain things and we build kind of a legalistic framework of our understanding of what God's called us into and then we start comparing it to everybody else. And that's not the way God wants it to work. And the reason the, 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 reason the Christian community is divided in the mind of the world is because that's the way we live life as a family, inappropriately. Well... I mean, I'm just summarizing some stuff really condensed there, but hopefully you get the point. The verse here tells me that I should not allow myself to fall back into a slavery mindset as it relates to walking with God. That I've been set free for the purpose of living freely to God.
And that I want to walk in a concept that I know it's all on him, not on me. And I'm going to walk in a concept that I don't throw on everybody else around me, a condemning viewpoint of what I think they ought to be. That's between them and God. And it's not that I think that there's a thousand ways to live right before the, the, the Lord God Almighty. I think there's one way. I think it's pretty clear. Now I'm accountable to that. You are too. What if we have a disagreement about how that's supposed to be done? I'm still accountable to God for that. <laughs> and you are too. And we've got to get honest and be real about that. Well... Even though liberty frees us from sin and inadequacy. This is where I was going a minute ago in case you thought I'm an anything good guy. Because when I look at that that way what I just talked about. And say hey quit throwing your legalism on everybody else. And calling them to live a certain way just like you are. Because they're free to be who God wants them to be. You're free to who God, be who God wants you to be. That sometimes causes people to think oh well just anything goes. But just to clear that up real quick. You know in our documents that we've already covered. We have at least six basic things that we know we better not be in a disagreement on at all. Because these things really clarify whether we're the Lord's or not. And so we definitely have some strong things in Scripture that says liberty does not mean universalism. Liberty does not mean anything goes. The six things we always talk about quickly is the Word of God upon which everything else comes, right? Out of which everything else comes. The context of who God is, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Very clear throughout Scripture. We've got to be committed to that. The idea that we would walk with the understanding that man is fully dependent on God and depraved. Without him, we're up a creek without a paddle. The depravity of man, we call it in Baptist circles, right? The idea that we know we need a relationship with God and it's only or supplied and received through Jesus Christ. Salvation comes by grace through faith. That's not an optional discussion. That's a mandatory understanding. How you will have a relationship with God. And that in walking with him, he's called you to be a priest uh, in his priesthood, a child or daughter in his family, one that walks by a new identity. We covered that a little bit last week. That's all part of the package. I can't come to God and say, I'm in your family, but I live my rules. No. God would say, not in my household. <laughs> Just like you would in yours. <laughs> And then finally we rec recognize that he's coming again and we are his bride and we want to be prepared to honor him and live a life that blesses his life, blesses his work in us. A commitment to the Bible as the word of God is the core of that for us. And as you continue to spend time in the word of God, it is not going to place upon you this burden. If you're one in the family, if you're in the family and you're liberated, the word of God is not a burden upon your back that you carry that's so hard for you to keep. I just want to make sure you understand that. If that's what you're going through as a person in the family of God, I would say to you, you might want to go back to step one and see if you're in the family or not. Because here's how simple this is. If a hamby is a hamby, they're a hamby. <laughs> that sounds stupid, doesn't it? But that's how simple it is. And so you don't, you don't have to work to make Barbara Hamby a Hamby. She is a Hamby, right? That's just, that's just it. A child of God who is a child of God is a child of God, meaning they have a heavenly father whom they want to honor. That's just 
who they are. And if the desire to be a reflection of the Father is a burden and difficult task, it might be the fact that somehow or another the family line's got a mess in it. I'm not saying that we won't struggle at times. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that if, if I'm new, I'm new. Boy, there's something in the Bible about that, isn't there? Old things passed away, all things become new. The idea that there's a new man inside that longs to be what God wants him to be. Well, second word <laughs> that you've heard. You see, you've heard more sermons about this last one than you had the first one. That's why I took it as the second word. Is that, is that God really calls us in the family to live under the concept of liberty, bought by the blood, living toward the life that God's called us to, freed from sin, freed to live the life that God's called us to. And that the, the key word many of us know that we do that in is that this, this word called love. It ought to be who we're known for. It ought to be the character trait of our personality, our mannerisms. It ought to be as people look at us, we're just a little different than everybody else. It's so real. And it's all because that's who our Father is. God is love. We know that, right? And so in this understanding of this word as a family member, I realize this is who I am. I'm a reflection of the love of God to the rest of the world because I'm in that family. And what's that look like as we live it out day to day? All the sermons in the world can't make it any simpler than what Jesus our, our Lord did for us in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, 38. You're, you're seeing it in front of your eyes every single time you come in this building. Did you know that? Have you ever looked up when you walked in the foyer? It says, Matthew chapter 22, 37, 38, I mean. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Every time you walk in the building, if you look up, you're going to see it. Look at the back wall. There's the other part of it. As you walk out, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus made a profound statement in verse 39. Let's go first 40, excuse me. Is it not? You'll have to look that one up. I didn't have that one there. In verse 40, Jesus says, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You want to really know how to get it in daily life? Learn how to love God in everything you're doing and learn how to love the people in front of you in every way you see them. So, wow, that ain't so easy. Not in your flesh, it ain't. I know. That's great English here, wasn't it? You know, ink's in the dictionary now. It didn't used to be. <laughs> but that's what God's called us to, to a life of love, living it out in genuine love for another. You know, there's a lot of verses to support this, and, and you'll get some more of these later, but let me just give you a couple. God's love should be constraining us to be all that, all that he would want us to be. I mean, he's demonstrated his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, right? Romans 5, 8, we get that. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, it says, for the love of Christ constrains us, controls us, if you look at it that way in that word. That God's love is that kind of powerful if we submit to it. 
Anyway, that's, that's the call of God on us, that we let him do that. Transforms us in 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of the love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. That's what it does to us. Takes us out of being non-children of God to being children of God. That's the power of the love of God. 1 John 4, 30. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. 1 John 4.10 tells us that. Walking in love with God and man is the core of the purpose for which we were created. Would you think of that for a second? Walking in love with God and, with, and man is the core of the purpose for which we were created. God said he made us in his own image that we wanted to have fellowship with him. What's that all about? A love relationship with God. God called a people group to himself that they might be a testimony to the rest of the world. For what reason? That they might be a reflection of his love to them. And God summates it all up for us in these two verses. Summates it all up for us in these two verses. That we might love him and love others. If we're having a love problem with people, we've got a problem with God. Well, bro Brother Chris, you don't know the people in my life. If you did, <laughs> you'd know they're not so easy to love. God ain't depending on your ability. He's enabling you if you, depend, if you depend on him to love the way he wants you to love. And no, you don't have to lie. I'm going I'm to mess up one of your favorite statements, okay? I'm just, no, I'm, I'm treading on thin ice here. Here I go. I'm going to cross the line with some of you. I don't have to like them. I got to love them, but I don't have to like them. I don't know how many people have said that. I'm going to divert from that a little bit, okay? I want you to hear me carefully in my words, all right? I'm going to say it this way. I don't have to like what they do. But I have to love them. And let me ask you an honest question. Here we go. Let's be honest. Who have you ever truly loved that you really didn't like? Be honest about relationships for a second. Who are the people that come to your mind right now that you know you just don't like them? You don't like them, I'm talking about. And then in the same breath, you can say, but I, I really, honestly, from the death of my heart, from a God perspective, love them. That's, that's not the way you're saying you love them. Let's be honest. You're from the depth of your heart saying, I have to love them because God says I got to love them. Here's what I'm saying. There's a big difference in this issue. And if you don't get over it, you're never going to truly love people. You've got to transfer that to saying, I don't have to like what they do. I don't like the way they live. I don't like the way they treated me. I don't like the way they treated so-and-so. I don't like their habits and their personality. It rubs me raw every time I see them. But not only does God like them, God loves them. He hates their sin but he loves them. For me, here's a thus says Chris, not the Lord again, okay? For me, this was a liberating issue in learning how to love people. I realized for the longest time in my life, I was lying to myself and saying it was okay that I don't have to like people who they are as a person, but I had to love them. And I learned that I can't separate their person 
I have to say, I'm going to separate their sin. I don't have to like what they do. I don't have to like the way they live. I don't have to like what they say. But I've got to learn to love them individually. These are words we live by. Living free from the power of sin that can control and destroy your life, even as a believer if you let it. Living free toward the will of God in daily life so that you're a reflection of God's glory and His honor. Living under the idea of God as love. He's a reflection of love. He's demonstrated His love. He's revealed His love. He's given direction with His love. And He's told me to be a person who loves. Those are two basic words that if we just add those to our daily understanding of our walk with God, we're going to live in the family a lot more successfully to the glory of God. And pe- guess what happens when that happens? People start seeing us and they, they kind of say, hey, there's something about the love in those people. That act stuff will start again. And they will know us by our love. Let's close with this concept. Are you liberated? Or with these thoughts, are you liberated? Nobody knows the answer to this but you and God. Can you get honest with yourself about it? Understand what I did not ask when I asked that question. I did not ask, if you ever walked down an aisle before? I did not ask, have you ever prayed a prayer in the corner of the parking lot when the crazy witnesser got you, you know, off to the end? That's what happened to me the first time. <laughs> but my heart didn't change. <laughs> I didn't ask you if you've learned all the discipleship, you know, topics that you're supposed to learn. I asked you, do you know that you've been liberated from the power of sin? And you know that in your heart because Jesus has come into your life and become your Lord and Savior. And now sin is no longer your master. But he's your master. That's step one. Are you living freely toward that life that he's called you to? It's a joy for you. It's an excitement for you to be what God's called you to be. You know you're new and different and you just want to live that life. Even though sometimes you reveal you've got to make some changes and you might have to buckle up and get with it. <laughs> yeah, I've been there so many times. <laughs> Finally, I'd ask you, are you walking in love? Is this the character trait of your life? If somebody was to come and talk to your wife, your husband, your best friend or somebody, and they would say, hey, you know Jim Dandy over here? He is one of the most loving guys I've ever met. Is that what they say about you? Is, is it our ID? I, I'm not talking about the most syrupy, you know, because I'm not the best syrupy guy, <laughs> okay? I'm not, I'm not talking about being able to present it in the most syrupy and sweet tones that everybody, some people do. I'm just talking about your character and your response to people and your commitment to people is identified by the love you have for them. That's what we're after in the words that we're talking about in living in the family of God so that he's honored in that way. Let's pray together. Father, I know we've covered a lot of territory on two little words. And there's just a whole lot more in your word about it. 